0: What's this week's sports Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxton, and we're talking all things sport in Salford. Join me on the show this week, as ever. We've got James and James, looking forward to talking. Soccer- ...all things Sporting, so and beyond.
1: Oh, couldn't be more excited, Rob. There's a fantastic weekend of Sport to preview and I can't wait for it. Yeah, we're also joined by Paul Whiteside
0: from The Devil in the Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking Sport and uh, giving your views.
2: Yeah, certainly. I'm Rob. Yeah, action-packed show, as James just alluded to. There's plenty to get through, isn't there, the uh, next hour or so. Yeah, so looking forward to it, mate.
0: Yeah, and what we'll do, we'll start... With the rugby league, Paul and Solfera Devils had a stadium update update a couple of weeks ago about the potential move uh, from the AJ Bell Stadium to sulphur City's home ground, which is Moor Lane. Uh, what did you make of all the sort of information provided by uh, Chairman Paul King and Paul Trainer? Um, you know, it's an exciting move for sulphur but it needs to be right. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of
2: a mixed one, really. I mean, you say exciting, yeah, which which it could be. Um, at the moment we've got a really lovely stadium at the AJ Bell haven't we so that would be disappointing to, to leave that so I think it's a 50-50 one really but you've got to do what's best for you and I think you've got to trust in the people who run the club and, and get the best deal for you it's no use playing at Buckingham Palace if you can't afford to play at Buckingham Palace if you know what I mean so you've got to be playing at a ground where you can you can be self sufficient and, and look after yourself so I'm sure that, they've, that Paul's got the best interest in the club at heart which he has and he'll get the best deal for the club so uh, so everything that was put on the table very honest, it was very open and I think supporters now sort of know, you know, how things are gonna be and, and, and how things are mapping out for the club. So um, so yeah, there's alternatives there, isn't there? It's just let's just hope that it all goes to plan and, and, and solve Salford Rugby League Club gets the best deal.
0: Yeah, finance is a big thing, Paul. And obviously, the club at the moment, Paul and sort of made it clear that they are paying rent to play at the AJA Bell Stadium, but it's not the agreed amount uh, when they first took the, the lease over on the stadium. So it is kind of the thing that... With the new uh, you know, owners of the stadium coming in, they may ask for a higher rent, which will affect the club because the club can only afford what they can pay.
2: That's right. Well, if you can't afford to, to, to pay the rent and you can't afford to stay, then obviously it's Hobson's choice and you've got to move on and, and, and find an alternative arrangement. So, you know, at least Salford have got things in the, in, in the, um, in the fire, if you like, iron's in the fire because we you know you getting kicked out of the stadium and or not being able to pay your rent and have to, have to sort of look for somewhere. At least the, the plans are going ahead. You've got a plan for things, haven't you? So, uh, so yeah. And, and, and things about rent, you can't be staying at a stadium and, and using all your, your budget on rent. You're not going to have enough money to to, to play the, to pay the players and things like that so it's a very difficult situation that Salford are in that Paul King's in and like I said before it's it's now down to the people who run the club and the supporters as well to to get behind the right decision for the club and whatever that may be if, if, if the future's at Moor Lane I'm pretty sure that Salford supporters and, and the people behind the club would make that their home um, you know, Salford, you as you know as I, as I do, is about the supporters. And the supporters are magnificent. And I think wherever they played, wherever the club played, I think we'd we'd make it our home, wouldn't we? So, uh, so yeah, anything new in the in the future is exciting. And if that that's how it's going to be, that's how it's going to be. But I think we've just got to you know watch now and get behind the club as best we can for this season coming up. And I mean, the more people that can watch Salford in the next 12 months, the better. The more people can get through the turnstiles, the better. So, so let's hope people get behind the club. And uh, you know, it, the support is definitely needed. That's that's the main thing.
0: Yeah, the three options that Paul King kind of announced were, state the A.J. Belstania but in his view, uh, the club would last kind of two years max because of the, obviously, the the new contract that that may be put in place. Uh, Move to a more lane which allows the club to grow and invest in itself and, and obviously there is difficulties with attendances and making the ground sort of up to scratch when it comes to Super League because it sounds like the the Super League criteria is much higher than a, a Football League criteria, which is currently at Moor Lane. So he was in discussions with builders and things like that to try and uh, you know smooth that over. Or another option would be out the City of Salford, Paul, and possible Etihad Stadium, Berry. Uh, there was other stadiums mentioned as well. But as a Salford supporter, um, how do you feel about that moving out of our great city?
2: No, I think it's a no-go for me. I think as soon as you move out of the city, you lose your identity. A lot of teams have done it in the past, haven't they? And never really recovered from it. So I think it'd be a massive, massive mistake to move out of the city. I mean, we're not a club that gets 10,000 crowds every week and can afford to move out of the city. I mean... You know, if we were to move, you're going to lose a lot of the hardcore support that you've already got. So, um, you know, we, we struggle for the as it is. So I think moving would, would have a real knock-on effect on that. So uh, so I think, that now nah, that'd be a non-starter for me. And you he, he couldn't go and watch a, a Salford team in somewhere like Bury. I mean, no disrespect to Bury, but it's nowhere near Salford, is it? So it'd just, it just be a farce, that really, for me. And, and then you, you're clutching at straws, aren't you? And you become like... Real nomads, don't you? Sort of wandering around looking for a stadium. So, so yeah, I think More Lane it'd be the obvious choice. Like you said, we might have to get builders in. We might have to, you know, alter the ground and things like that. But from what I've read, you know, the the, the construction of the original sort of the the, the new stadium, the Provincial Stadium that they built there. Is, is quite flexible. Anyway, I think you can add things onto it, can you know, alter things, and you know, in time, if it was our stadium, we were making money there, surely that would be would be the option for me. I think moving to like the Etihad or somewhere like that, it's it's very very short term and very very short sighted. I mean, how long would that last for? put it for 12 months two years and you're moving somewhere else because Man City don't want you there or Bury don't want you there then you, you, you just become this sort of moving target don't you if you like so so no I think moving out of the city is a massive massive non-starter
0: yeah uh, the other director at Salford Devils uh, Paul Trainer, discussed what the club are doing in the community talking about link-ups with schools and colleges and amateur sites it's great that the club are trying to invest in the youth of the city uh, and and making Salford uh, a priority in their world
2: yeah Definitely, definitely. But that goes back to the, the previous point we made. If you're doing all that good work in the city, why would you move the club out of the city? Because as soon as you move the club out of the city, you're moving it away from those links. So I think a strong, um, a strong community club has to be in that in that city. So you know those those supporters of the amateur sides. You know the the the, the sears we keep going about Moor lane but we'll, we'll call it Moor Lane Say we've got a Lane It's a lot easier for those supporters to get there. It's a lot easier for those supporters to identify with it, and those players of those amateur sides as well. So, so yeah, I think it's great the work that the club are doing in the community, and the, the link ups they've got at the moment. You know, in Wales as well, and you know we spoke about Ghana, I think you guys spoke about that last week, didn't you? That's an exciting sort of thing in the future as well. So, Solway are making a lot of good waves off off the pitch, and there's a lot of excitement on the pitch as well with signings and things like that. So, yeah, if we have to go to Moor Lane. It's it's not you know it's not a field with a rope round. Is it? It's it's a decent little ground, and I'm I'm sure we'd make it. It's look, it's not the AJ Bell, is it? Let's have it right. I mean, it's not as glamorous as what the AJ Bell is what we've got at the moment. But sometimes you've just got to make the best of things, haven't you? And you know, if, if that means us going there and making that our home and and surviving, I think it's it's the obvious choice.
0: Yeah. Also, talked about education and investing in that in in the in the. City and and the kids of the future and it's important obviously the kids get that correct education because rugby league can be a short career so if they are uh, sort of educated in different areas uh, then they can fall back on that when they retire or the players who don't make it um, if they get a job and, and get a, a sort of an education as well uh, they can move on in, in life
2: Yeah of course they can you, you nailed it there when you said about rugby league being a short career I mean as sad as it sounds sometimes it can be we, we've seen that a couple of times this season you know like so Don Manfredi at Wigan who got injured and has had to retire what's he 26, 27 that, that happens in rugby league sometimes and you know that, he's, he's one of the star names as well you know some of the, the lesser players who don't make don't really make it or they're only sort of in the, the first team for a couple of years, and then drop out because they're injured and things like that. It is a short career for them, so then they've got to back up on that, and you've got to find a job and, and retrain. And if you've already got a trade and a career behind you, or or some sort of training or something to fall back on, some education to fall back on, then you, you you're already uh, one step ahead, aren't you? So uh, so I think that's great that you, you do need to have something else because even if you've had a long, illustrious career, rugby by the time you're mid thirties, you're uh, you're retiring anyway, aren't you? And that's a long way from sort of retirement age in, in this country. You've got another thirty five. Years to go, haven't you? A job or whatever, so uh, so yeah, I think if you can get the right training and you know things like that, work alongside your rugby league and your education, I think that's 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 definitely the recipe.
0: Yeah, they talked about putting a structure in place, Paul, and you've got a player pathway uh, which they've announced, and coaches that are involved in that process uh, Stuart Wilkinson, Danny Barton, uh, John Blackburn, Chris Irwin, Paul Berry, uh, John Fieldhouse, um, are the people involved in that structure, and it's important because obviously. You know these guys are at the top of the field, so having them in in the process only makes Salford as a club stronger, and the kids going through stronger too.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, you named a few names there, didn't you? Like John Blackburn's been around Salford for an awful long time, hasn't he? You know. Um, you were involved with it with the youngsters at Salford and a bit of support all his life as well. Played for I think he played for the A team, John. I think he'll tell you that if you see him. And uh, yeah, Danny Bat another another lovely guy who's, who's who's played for the club and worked uh, work wonders with the with the youngsters. Um, John Fieldhouse, a name you mentioned there as well. I remember John being a rugby league player, played for Great Britain. You know, back in the it was the 80s or so, John Fielhoff, very very good player, and he's another guy that's got an awful lot of knowledge as well. Been in coaching, and uh, you know, he'll, he'll bring in that that knowledge to Salford right now. So. It was very exciting to see that that player pathway um, you spoke about on the news and the people who are coming in to help the club. And you look at the coaching set we've got, a, you know, the, the first team as well with, with the three wise men there in Kurt Aggerty, Danny R, and, and, and Paul Roller So it, things are happening now at Salford, and, and this is a really, really exciting season and one we can't wait to be a part of. But the the things that are being done at the Sort of ground level with, with youngsters and that—that's that's the foundation work that every club needs to do. That—that's sometimes it's like the probably not the glamour stuff is it? it's not winning trophies and, and winning matches, but that's the stuff that a lot of clubs are built on. A lot of great clubs are built on those foundations, so uh, it's very important that you get those blocks in order. And so forth seem to be doing that at the moment.
0: What do you make of the new um, coaching announcement of Paul Rowley, uh, Kirk Haggerty? And Danny, are, you know, obviously all experienced, uh, you know, coaches. I'm sure they're going to bring a lot to the club.
2: Yeah, well, we know Paul's been there for a, for a, in and out a couple of years, hasn't he? I came into LP and Watson out a few years ago and uh, spoke to Paul a few times. And you know, he's a he's a good guy. He's a very knowledgeable guy. He's a very good player, Paul Rowley. And uh, you know, he's coached you know Lee and Toronto as well. He's, he's got an awful lot of knowledge to, to to pass down. He's still only a relatively young man as well, so. Uh, I think Paul's a good appointment. I think he's got a good, a good temperament. I think he's he's one of those people who I you know, say he commands respect. Paul really, he doesn't suffer fools, does he? You know, he'll call a spade a spade. He'll he'll get into you in, in training if you're not putting it in. Paul Rowley will tell you. Um, and I think he's the kind of guy that you want. He's a perfectionist. He's not going to suffer fools. He's not going to let you doss about training. He's he's going to lay the law down. And uh, I don't know a lot about Kurt Agatier, I'll be be honest with you. But I know Kurt's been done quite a lot in the amateur to rugby league. I think he's coached over there in Leeds. He's obviously coached Lee Centurions and did a pretty good job last season in a, in a really tough squad that they had. So he's another young guy, young, ambitious guy. Danny Orr was there last season and... Uh, Obviously, Salford have seen enough to, to want to keep Danny on because he was obviously part of Richard Marshall's staff. So, uh, so Salford must want to keep Danny. So, so yeah, I think it's it, it could be a really good combination. That and it's it's good for Paul that he's got two guys to to sort of back up on as well. He's got Kurt and Danny there to, to run his ideas by. So, uh, so you know it'll be results. tell, will tell they? you can talk all you want about how great they are at coaching and that, but at the end of the day they'll be judged on results, won't they? So, uh, so they've got they've got to get it right and they've got to win matches, haven't they? Like any any coaching Super League, but uh, but it'd be Exciting! I think the continuity of having Paul Roller there, as he's been there for a while, he's worked with the with the uh, with the, the youth players, hasn't he? As we've said before, the, the player pathway, he was doing a lot of that work for us. So that continuity of having Paul at the club, he knows which way the club wants to go. I spoke to Paul King numerous times over the last twelve months. So you've got that continuity there, which is good. So, uh, so yeah, I'm excited to see how it goes.
0: Yeah, obviously talking about uh, Soul Devils, they've got an ex- ex- exhibition at Oddsall Hall at the moment where they talk about uh, the the history of the club and it's fantastic that the club have managed to secure uh, an area in the Oddsall Hall for, for people to visit and, and look at the uh, the marvellous history we've got.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm hoping to get down to that myself uh, when I get a spare five minutes, but I believe the people I've spoken to with Bill, I've really enjoyed it, some great stuff on there, you know, exhibitions to see and some, some great old uh, memorabilia and, and bits and bobs to, to look at and uh, yeah, the club's got a fantastic history, Rob, you know, we, we talk about that all the time, a great team in the 30s that we had and they've, they, terrific side of the 1970s as well and you know even since then we've, we've done some good things haven't we? we've we done some great things over the last few years don't we'll get to the challenge cup final and the million pound game and things like that there's never a dull moment to solve for it, is it? It's, a, it's a club steeped in history and uh, yeah if you can get yourself down to, to see that I'm sure you'll be impressed with it and uh, just educate yourself a bit more about the great history of our club
0: yeah it's on to the 12th of December um it's open Monday to Thursday 10 to 4 and Sunday 2 to 4 so if you can get yourselves down there and and enjoy that exhibition you know it's it'll certainly uh, inspire you because this club is you know full of fantastic uh you know moments in history which we can all embrace you know if we can get down there and and, and look at it uh, also Paul, obviously with Christmas coming up uh, it's so important that fans help the club and purchase season tickets. I know people may be worried because of the coronavirus and how it will affect the the league uh, the season coming up, but I spoke to Paul King and he was convinced that the the season will go on. Uh, A lot of fans worried that games will get cancelled, they will lose money, Um, but for me, it sounds like the uh, the RFL have kind of decided that's not really going to happen this season. So you're hoping that people will hear that and rush out and, and buy the season tickets.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, just like looking at the moment regarding like football and that, uh, the, the football season be been full swing at the moment, does it? Games don't seem to be getting postponed. Not that I've heard of recently, anyway. So uh, you know, give it you know it's after Christmas till till rugby league starts. We're hoping that um, you know most people have had the the, the vaccines, the players have had the vaccines and things like that, so obviously I don't think the coronavirus is going to go away, is it, overnight, but yeah, you'd like to think it'll calm down a bit by then and and, and, and the games can take place, so, uh, so yeah, season tickets are a massive thing for any club, aren't they? It's that, that foundation and you know, you want as many seasons to get older as you can get, and obviously we we said before our crowds aren't that huge, are they? So uh, it'd be nice to see uh, you know the, you know people behind the in the stands next season and getting behind the, the club because the more tickets you can sell, you know it, it just sets just sets you up there and takes a bit of pressure off the club, doesn't it? You know financially. So uh, so I'd encourage anybody to get a season ticket. I think they're they're very very reasonably priced, aren't they? They've been on on like a price freeze for the last few years. They don't think they're expensive at all. So uh, and they're well worth it as well. You know, rugby league, fantastic sport. And uh, you, you get royally entertained out at the Bell, don't you? We had some cracking nights down there last season, in particular towards the back end of the year. We had some really good wins, didn't we? So, uh, so yeah, I'd encourage everyone to get out there and uh, get behind the club.
0: Yeah, the telephone number for the ticket office is oh one six one seven eight six one five seven zero, And it's open Monday at 1pm till 8pm, Tuesday 10am till 4pm, Wednesday 10am. 4pm, Thursday, 1pm, 8pm, and Friday, 10am, 4pm, so get yourselves down there, purchase a season ticket, invest in the club, help the club reach their potential, and we'll be celebrating uh, come next year, uh, with hopefully a playoff place, and a Challenge Cup final run, so let's talk, about our other club in the area, Swinton Lions, Paul. They've their new fixtures came out for the twenty twenty two season. What do you make of that uh, list of teams that Swinton had to face?
2: I haven't seen it yet, Rob. To be honest with <laughs> you,
0: could uh, you could you run it by me? I can I can give you. a... A little chat through, Paul. Definitely. The first game they have to play is West Wales on the 27th of March uh, at home. That'll be a, a great game for the Swinton Faithful to get the teeth into early does.
2: Yeah, it certainly will. It sounds a while off that, doesn't it? 27th of March and it uh, gives us plenty of time to prepare for that. West Wales, I think, were... I won't say the whipping boys last season, but they were—they were, they struggled, didn't they? And, but improved towards the end of the year and, and got some decent results. So, Swinton will definitely be looking at that game to, to get a result from. They really will. So, it's obviously going to be a big pre-season for them now. You know, pre-season friendlies and things like that. They've got an awful lot of time to prepare for that. But, as I said, on the recent shows, made some good signs. signings. They're going to be one of the sides that... That are going to be expected to get promoted, so uh, it's going to be a, a, a tough, a tough year for them. There's other teams in that league as well who are going to be after them. But you know, it's every side that plays. It's going to be like a cup final for them because they are they're a big club for that league. So, uh, so yeah, West Wales' f- first game, I'd be expected to to get two points.
0: Yeah. On the 24th of July, Paul, they face a new club in the division, Cornwall RLFC, away from home. Eric Perez uh, has uh, invested in the club and is um, and looking to make Cornwall a you know hotbed of rugby league. What do you make of that? Yeah, well, why not? I mean,
2: it's probably a bit of an untapped area, Cornwall, isn't it, for, for sport? Really. I mean, I know you've got a bit of football in, like, Devon, haven't you? Like Plymouth Argyle and Exeter and Torquay and, and things like that. But Cornwall's a sort of an area of, of its own, really, isn't it? So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's a nice place to go. I think you'd rather play them in July or August, wouldn't you? You could have a few days down there on the beach. But, no, it's it's an interesting, uh, interesting place. It's a long way to go, isn't it, in a, in a, in a day there and back. But, you know, it's... Um, it's an interesting venture, isn't it? We're all, always on about spreading the rugby league outside the M62 corridor and if you can have a team down there and you know they can do well, I, I can see that being a success. I mean, nice part of the world, Cornwall, if you've been there before. It's, uh, it's an enjoyable place, so, so why not? Why not? If rugby league people can get behind it down there and people can enjoy a bit of a day out to Cornwall, I, I don't see it being a problem. I think it'd be, it's a good idea.
0: Yeah, I would bet responsible, but I put my money on Salford away trip to Cornwall in deepest, darkest April in the Challenge Cup, Paul.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. It'll be snowing, and fog and all sorts <laughs> of can we, we wouldn't get Cornwall in the, in the nice sunshine. We? That, that'd be something uh, something special. But no, it'd be, it'd be a place. Someone asked me the other day, would you fancy in the Challenge Cup? And a few people were saying they wouldn't mind going to York and places like that, you know, where we've not been for a while. So I think as a supporter, you always fancy going and playing a side that you've not played before, or if you're a bit of a geek like me and, and yourself, Rob, we always like ticking grounds off where we've not been to and, and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't mind going and playing somebody where I've not played before just to just to say I've, I've been to that ground watching Salford. So, uh, yeah, watch this space.
0: Yep, uh, Swinton have re signed Lewis Charnock and Jack Hansen uh, for their 2022 squad. Good half backs, we'll get that Swinton pack rolling.
2: Yeah that's right I mean every side is, is built on the halfbacks aren't they and Lewis Charnock and Jack Hanson have been around for a while now haven't they the, the club you know Jack Hanson's been there for a few years I mean Lewis has has played uh, here there and everybody. I think he's been at Oldham hasn't he as well played there and uh, he's, he's a Warrington lad he's, he started to say St. Helens didn't he so he's a, he's a, he's a clever player he's, he's had a bit of experience hasn't he now playing for Swinton and yeah he, he, he's he's one that's um, going to be a good player for that that league one no doubt about that Charnock and Hanson are going to be a decent pair of packs, I'd say for for, for Swinton so uh, so yeah it's, I'm glad they've got those two guys nailed down they've made some other good signings as well so uh, the squad's starting to take shape they've got a decent squad as well they've re-signed a lot of the players and, and brought a few players in as well so, uh, so yeah the, the squad is really taking shape now and as I said before they should be favourites to Favours to do really well in that league
0: one. Yeah. Finally, let's talk wheelchair rugby. England and France have two tests over the last few weeks. Unfortunately, France won the, the series 2 0. But what a fantastic sport. It was broadcast on the BBC and it's fantastic. Obviously, you know, people can get involved if you're in a wheelchair and it's great for the sport to have the exposure.
2: It certainly is. It certainly is. And it's so competitive every time I've watched the wheelchair rugby it's really really competitive and uh, you know he, he, those um, lads and ladies who play they they don't give an inch really do they it's uh, super uh, super stuff and uh, and yeah it's great I think it's a fantastic uh, sport and you've got to be fit as well to the speed that it's played at it really surprised me I thought it'd be quite slow paced and and things like that but it's not they really mean business and uh, you know listen the, the more people we can get playing rugby league whether it be ladies rugby league girls rugby league young lads rugby league you know, wheelchair rugby league, I think the, the better for the sport, the more people you get participating in and being involved in the sport, it's fantastic. So, uh, so yeah, thoroughly enjoyed, enjoyed watching it. You know, me, Rob, I've, I've watched rugby league anywhere or any any form of rugby league. I think it's a super sport, and
0: uh,
1: yeah, great, great stuff.
0: yep so that's all the rugby chat, and now we're at James and Paul will
1: talk boxing. Yeah, we definitely will, and there's some great fights coming up. I think the most important one this week is Teofimo Lopez versus George Cambosas. But before we get into that, there's somebody else that I think our fans will want to hear from. And that's the man himself. Paul, you had a boxing match over the weekend. It was a big one. You secured a victory at your beloved AJ Bell Stadium. How did it go? Yeah, it was
2: all right. Yeah, well... It was a tough fight. Yeah, the lad who I thought was very, very tough, and um ben, his name was, and all credit to him, result could have gone either way. It went three rounds. He broke my nose in the first round and uh, made right like, mess messing my face, and I think I won maybe the second round. Third round was a toss-up, so it could have gone either way, mate, to be honest, and I was expecting it to be a draw. So probably quite fortunate that, you know, when you get your hand lifted, you, you've won the fight. So, uh, so, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it, mate, and a uh, bit battered and bruised now, and just looking forward to... Uh, you know, getting myself fit and getting myself better again and, and maybe going again. I've got another fight, well, I'm not sure what, what date we're on here, but I've got another fight on the 26th of November at Bowlers. And uh, once I've got that one done, I'm going to have a bit of a rest then over Christmas and uh, get myself back fit for next year and and, and see how i go after that because you know, time might be running out for me, you know, I'm getting on a bit now. So, uh, but no,
1: I, I thoroughly enjoy it all the time. It's great sport, mate. And,
2: uh, yeah, thanks for mentioning it
1: no problem I mean we're all looking forward to your next outing and I think me and Rob and everybody else listening wishes you all the luck in the world at that one but coming up this weekend it's Tiafimo Lopez versus George Cambosos and this is a great fight Paul. Lopez shocked the world when he beat Lomachenko to be honest quite easily, I think it shocked everybody because Lomachenko was the pound-for-pound number one, completely untouchable and Lopez came in and bullied him, but George Kambosos isn't coming to lie down, he's extremely motivated, coming off a win against Lee Selby and I think the bad blood has boiled to boiling point between these two due to the fact that It's moved around so much between Australia, different parts of America. Of course, Triller were messing about completely with the rights. I think they bid six million, which was a huge bid at the purse bids. And ultimately, they couldn't put that together and they weren't able to stage the fight. But it's with Matri now. It's on Desert, And who wins this one? I mean, Tia Fimo, probably the favourite, but Cambosos a worthy challenger. Yeah, well, just
2: going back to Kambosos' last fight against Lee Selby, I thought he did a tremendous job. You know you know to to win that fight i think it was a split decision in the end wasn't it but i thought he won that quite comfortably and lee Selby's a very very classy operator or has been in in the uk so i was impressed with that you know regarding Lopez yeah he it, i think you know just going off names and that i think you probably have have Lopez as, as the favorite for that one but you know cambo's i think I think the only reason why I'd have have, uh, Lopez as a favourite is just because of that win over Lamonchenko. Lamonchenko's such a great champion, such a great fighter. Anybody that beats him... Raise his eyebrows, and that probably just 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 sets him up as the favourite for me. But as you said, Cambolus has come across, and he, he looks like there's a lot of bad blood there. He looks a very very motivated guy, yeah. and um, you know a motivated guy like that can be a very very dangerous fighter. So uh, so this, this this should be fireworks. Should be absolute fireworks. This fight, and you've got two two blokes at the top of the game, both unbeaten. Uh, yeah, it's it's a magic fight, a magic fight to to, to watch definitely.
1: Talking fireworks, Paul, Kiko Martinez has just shocked the world. When he was arranged to fight Gig Galahad, I don't think anybody gave him a prayer. He was old, over the hill, coming off losses, even, you know, potentially unfairly against Zelfa Barrett. But it was seen as a bit of a stay-busy fight for the recently crowned Sheffield world champion. But Martinez definitely didn't read that script. He tore it up. He knocked Gig Galahad out cold in the sixth round put him down in the fifth and then finished the job off in the following round and wow what an upset paul
2: yeah it, it was an upset i was looking at i like a bet me and i was looking at the, the the boxing betting over the weekend and he was 10 to 1 to win that fight kiko martinez and i almost had a five run and i didn't in the end and i wish i did because it, like you say he's 30 odd 35 36 year old now but he's tough as teak he's had what fifty odd fight about fifty five fights I think in his career and you know you you look at Kiko his record and some of the people he's fought against he's never ducked anybody. And I don't think he's ever been out class with anybody. I mean, yeah I, I was uh, in the arena when he fought Scott Scott Quigg about six years ago now. Scott Quigg absolutely battered him with, with with body shots and knocked him out. But you know Martin as he's such a brave lad. You know, he didn't want to to finish that night and uh, you know I think he's one of those, those fighters he's just tough as teak and, and he perhaps King Gallo had underestimated him I think he did I think he definitely underestimated him and, and you can't underestimate somebody like that somebody who's as tough as that who's as schooled as that and he's been in a, with a, some of the champions he's been in with you know he, he, he's tough as anything and uh, yet yeah, and a great win for him and and what does that win do for Martinez now where does that propel into what what does he go on to next you know um, it's a, it's a great result for him definitely
1: I mean, you mentioned there that night against Scott Quigg when Kiko Martinez was, was battered, really. And, of course, he lost two bouts before that to Carl Frampton. Who, would you have believed anybody who told you then that he'd go on to win another World, champ- another world Championship in another weight class years on after Frampton and after Quigg both retired? Um, no, you wouldn't. But you've only got to look at what he's done
2: since then. As I said before, I mean, he never ducked anybody, did he? I think he fought Leo Santa Cruz, didn't he? After he fought Scott Quigg, he went on to fight Josh Warrington. So you look at his record, he's fought everybody. You know, everybody's been put in front of him. He's never sort of said, no, I don't fancy him. He's a he's, you know, world champion. Him, he, he's, he's always been treated to me like a bit of a gatekeeper. And that's probably been a bit disrespectful to him. So he, he's, he's tough as teak, as I said before. And, uh, you know, I I'm glad in a way. I mean, obviously you want your British fighters to win, but I'm sort of pleased for him. I think he's a fighter that's been very, very sort of underrated over the years. And as I said, uses a bit of a stopgap, a bit of a, a, a gatekeeper. You know, I think there's boxers sometimes where they get used as a bit of a yardstick, don't they? You'll throw a boxer in and go, well, fight him. If you beat him, then we can judge you, you know, a bit more then. And, um, and sometimes it's nice to see that fighter get the rewards he deserves and him to get that big win, you no know, rather than him to, to lose on points or whatever and just uh, you know put you know help someone else's career along. I think it's good sometimes. So yeah Kiko Matanez deserves that. He's been an absolute warrior over the years and been in with some great fighters and uh, yeah boxing can, can be great sometimes when you get shocks like that. Obviously you don't want it to happen to British fighters, but you know, that, that happens and that, that was a that was a magic fight.
1: Yeah, most certainly. I mean Spanish boxing has never been you know it's never been unbelievable. But this month alone, Sando Martin caused a massive upset when he defeated four-weight champion Mikey Garcia. Kiko Martínez has just beat Kid Galahad. And could Spain make a bit of a surge here in boxing at the moment coming off these two wins?
2: Yeah, it certainly could. It certainly could. I mean, as you said before, we've not been like blessed with lots and lots of Spanish fighters over the years, have we? But, No you know, Martínez is, is probably... Um, Probably one of the, the, I would say, household name. But you know, in boxing circles, he's he's very well known, isn't he? just because of his longevity and the amount of fights that he's got. But uh, but yeah, let's hope it does. Let's hope it, you know, inspires you know young young people in, in in Spain to take up the sport and you know makes people in those boxing gyms in Spain stand up a bit taller and you know want to go on and do better things because uh, you know these guys are an inspiration to them.
1: Yeah, they definitely are. But where does Kid Galahad go from here, Paul? Because He had such a long ride, didn't he, towards that world title. I remember years ago in beating Jazza Dickens on Channel 5 and looking spectacular and looking like the future of British boxing. Of course, then there was the failed drug test, and obviously that's a bit of a blemish on his career. But he builds back up on small shows. He's never quite... Received that massive push from a promoter. But eventually, he gets the Josh Warrington fight. In most people's eyes, he wins it. But he doesn't get the decision. So he goes back onto undercards. I think he fought on Kel Brooks at Sheffield Arena. And then, luckily for him, he got a vacant title shot against Jazza Dickens when Josh Warrington turned down the opportunity for a rematch. He wins that vacant title. And after years and years of hard work, it looks like he's got to go on to unifications. But sadly, he gets knocked out cold here against Kiko. He may never be the same again. And where does he go?
2: Yeah, it's a tough one. Now that 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 was a big knockout, wasn't it? And a big defeat. And sometimes it's very difficult for boxers to come back from a defeat like that. What Kid Gallard now, 31? How are we going to see the end of him? Is he going to come back? Is he still going to have that fight? You'd probably have to ask him the question. However, he, you know, what what does he want to do now? What does he want to achieve? There's no doubt. That there's big fights at British level for him to rebuild that. But once you've been to world title level sometimes boxers don't want to go back down and rebuild do they they've, they've tasted the world the world success and it you know going back down to, to british level is not what they want to do so i don't know you'd probably have to speak to his promoter and see what they've got lined up for him because you know sometimes promoters will say oh we've got this round the corner for him or we've got a rematch or, or this clause in his contract so just to see what path he goes down now there's, there's no doubt he's a very talented fighter as you said before the josh warrington fight i thought he won that fight um so this one really is the first big blemish on his on his card leading to, to Martin. So it's a shock. And sometimes that happens in boxing. You know, Sh- shocks happen and you have to rebuild. It shows character the character that you got, doesn't it? So uh, so yeah, King Galloway's got time on his side at the age of thirty-one, but it just depends what road he wants to go down
1: now. On the undercard, I mean I mean, looking at it, it was a terrible night for Sheffield boxing, a terrible night for for all those in the crowd who wanted a big event. But Terry Harper also lost her world title belt via knockout in the fourth round. I think the referee did a really good job of jumping in at the correct moment. But Eddie Hearn's been struggling recently, hasn't he? I mean, Mikey Garcia losing, Anthony Joshua losing, Galahad and Harper losing. It's been tough times for him.
2: They certainly had. As, as you said there, the Harper fight, I think, was another another shock, wasn't it? I mean, I didn't see any of the boxing at the weekend. I only read about it the, the day after. And uh, it was a big surprise to me to see Harper and, and Galahad both... Are both lost. It was, uh, yeah. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? That happens in boxing, and you, you get these sort of nights where everything goes wrong. And yeah, as you said, for Eddie Earn there, you know, what, what does he, he do now? I mean, it's, it's it's difficult, isn't it, for for promoters and things like that? But it's up to the fighters, isn't it, to uh, to to switch on and and rebuild. So I'm sure Terry Harper will do. She's a very very talented boxer. And uh, as I said before, you, you get these nights, don't you, that, where things don't go right. You know. Your your game plan. I mean, we were talking about the weekend uh, about whose whose book it was. Everything's changes once you get hit in the face. Was it? Is it Tony Bellew that, that wrote the book? And um, and yeah, you can have you can have all the game plans under the sun, but as soon as you catch that big right hand or whatever, your game plan goes out of the window and you start spiraling and you, you end up getting beat, don't you? So boxing is that sort of sport where you can train and train and train, know what you're gonna do. Then it all goes out of, the, out of the window in thirty seconds. So, yeah, uh, it's it's a difficult one for those fighters. But I'm sure I'm sure they'll all come back and you know get back on the right track.
1: Now I'm going to hit you with Paul, maybe the most bizarre question I've asked you with throughout our entire history on the Sports Zone a show together. But Triller have been considered to potentially be cowboys of the sport, putting on ridiculous events. I mean, we had Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr followed up by a YouTuber versus a wrestler in Jake Paul versus Ben Askren. Then Evander Holyfield disgracefully being allowed to step foot back in the ring against Vitor Belfort. But their latest pay-per-view card must be the most ridiculous yet. We've got Kubrat Pulev taking on former UFC champion Frank Mir in a triangle ring with, with I think six ounce gloves on to try and differentiate the difference between MMA gloves and boxing gloves. But, the whole thing just seems ridiculous. I don't know who the market is for Pulev versus me, and this triangle ring just seems to be obscure to say the least.
2: You've got me there, James, for that one. It's the first time I've heard of it, it does it? it sounds very, uh, very strange, doesn't it? Like, you know, a triangle ring. How can it be a triangle ring? It's a triangle. Can't <laughs> have <out> a triangle <laughs> ring. Um, yeah, it does. Six ounce gloves as well. Uh, I won't want to whack off uh, Kubrat Pool with six ounce clubs on, but no, I, I don't know. It, boxing just seems to be at the moment going through a bit of a funny stage, isn't it? Some of the stuff that you hear announced and some of the fights that you hear announced, and especially these YouTube things and, and whatever. I mean, we've obviously got Huey Fiore, haven't we, in a few weeks? Um, we'll have to break that one down, but no, that that does sound a bit space age to me, that Kubrat Pool a triangle with six-ounce gloves on. it does. Yeah, it's definitely
1: the most strangest question you've ever asked me there, James. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all, Paul. Very ridiculous, and it'll be interesting to see how it does play out. Is there any part of it sort of grips you, because it is such a freak show, or is it one of them where you've just got no interest whatsoever? And do you think the wider bub- uh, boxing public will have an interest, or do you think this is just another event from trailer that's set to crash and burn? Because, Frank May, yes, a big star ten years ago, but Kubrak Pulev hasn't got much of a name in the States. And I just don't know who they're marketing this to.
2: No, that, that that's the thing. It, it doesn't really sort of scream marketing to you, does it? It doesn't sort of grab your attention. It's not something where you've just said that to me and I thought, oh, wow, well, I'll, I'll make sure I'm available that night to, to watch that. It's something I'll probably forget about once I've been to sleep tonight sort of thing. So, um, no, it, I don't know. It, it just seems a very, very odd, odd thing to say. I mean, it's a bit like, I don't know, remember Alan Partridge when he he used to try and think of uh, <laughs> think of things to things to do. I think well, you know, like think of names of programmes and all that for the he could do it. It's something like that, isn't it, really? But I don't know, it's a strange one. Strange one.
1: Yeah, very much so. But we have had a few good fights announced this week, Paul. The first of which, Chris Eubank Jr. versus Liam Williams. And I think we were both really excited by this one, but the win was taken out of ourselves a little bit when we expected it to be put on pay-per-view because they were the noises that we're hearing. But it's got to go ahead on normal Sky Sports. And I think that's something that we can all get behind. And now we can look at it for being the great fight that it is.
2: Yeah. I'm really excited about that. I watched an interview with Liam Williams the other day. And, uh, you know, I like Liam Williams. I think he's a, he's a really good fighter and no-nonsense fighting the machine and uh, quite an old-school character as well. And, you uh, You know, it's completely opposite to to Chris Eubank, really, so... There's a bit of bad blood between them. I don't think Liam Williams likes Chris Eubank, does he? I'm not so sure if it's the other way. I, th- I think probably the same, isn't it? A bit of f- fight, uh, 50-50 there between them two. But no, it screams a, a great fight, really. You know, they've both been at world level. They've both been, you know, title challengers. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's, it's one for the, the British public, really. It's Wales against England as well. We know uh, Eubank's a real patriotic Englishman. and Same with Williams being a Welshman. So, uh, you know, that that's going to you know, that's going to be a fantastic fight in Cardiff at the Motor Point Arena. And you'll you'll sell that out as soon as the tickets come on sale. I'm sure it'll be a great night to watch. I'm, I'm really delighted it's on Sky Sports as well. You know, so, you know, the boxing fans have to pay through the eyes to, to watch it.
1: Yeah, most certainly. And in other news, Gennady Golovkin's back in action, taking on Riotto Maratta, a former world champion in Japan, on December the 29th. So a bit of a belated Christmas present. But that's quite a good fight in the middleweight division. Yeah, certainly is. Certainly
2: is. I mean, you do tend to get a lot of decent fights now around this time, you know, coming up towards Christmas. And, uh, no, that, that, that'd that be a good one, that to see uh, Golovkin in action again, definitely. So, uh, looking forward to that one.
1: Now, Lucas Brown is also back in action in December time. He's had a fight announced for December 3rd, taking on Fager Diango, a former Australian champion, 14 and 2, that last post coming against Justice Hooney. And on paper, this should be a decent fight. But coming off the Gallon loss, I am in a position where I'm worried that Brown's just going to fall over against whoever he steps in the ring against, just due to the fact that his punch resistance seems to have completely gone. Is he still capable of beating somebody who's held that Australian title, or does he go into this one the underdog?
2: Um, well, you'd probably looking at Brown's record, he won't be the underdog. But just going off, as you said, going off that performance against Paul Gallon, he probably probably is. Um, it's how much he's got left in the tank now. I think you know he's took some some big defeats there, and um, as you said before, his punch resistance has it gone. Um, he's he's a tough guy, Lucas Brown. There's no doubt about that. But is he one of those 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 men that's probably past his best? Now, I mean. I don't like saying that sometimes about boxers because I think it's disrespectful. But I don't think Lucas Brown's going to listen to the show, is he? So, <laughs> no, I will say, I probably say, yeah, he might just be a little a bit over the hill now, and that, and I mean that in the, the most respectful way I can. I would never disrespect a boxer, but you know, just you can only go off off like the, the last performance, really, can't you? And use it as a bit of a judgment, a bit of a benchmark. And for me against Paul Gallen, I I thought he looked like a man that was towards the back end of his career there really and sort of clutching at straws a bit and a rabbit in the headlights if you like so uh, so this could, be, this could be a bit of a step too far for him
1: Well I've got to correct you there Paul because Lucas Brown is an avid listener to the Sports <laughs> show but um, in the press conference this week for Joseph Parker, Derek Chisora Delboy has hit back at the British Boxing Board of Control and refused to have them as judges for the fight what, what do you make of that? Of course Chisora for me and many others won that fight first time around
2: yeah, I think he did. I think he did. And uh, there's no doubt there's going to be some bad blood in this one as well against Parker. And I think I think Josie Parker, for me, would probably be just a slight favourite. Um, I think with Derek Chisora, is, is he a fighter that's gone to the well a few times now, hasn't he? And is he? Is he sort of a edging over the hill to the other side? I'm not too sure, but this, this is going to be a good one. I think it's all on the line this one for Chisora. I don't, I don't know how much he's got left now, um, but no, he, he wins this one and it, it propels him back into back into the sort of heavyweight stratosphere if you like doesn't it so uh, it's, a, it's a real crossroads fight for both fighters really I mean you think back we, we spoke a number of years ago didn't we, when we first started doing the show together about Joseph Parker and I remember when he came on the scene and everybody thought he was going to be the next big thing didn't they and he was going to be world champion and for for one reason or other, it's not quite he's not quite taken off for him the way he would have liked. I would have thought so. Uh, you know, I think he's he's one of those fighters who's got to make up for lost time really and propel himself. You know, sooner rather than later. So there's there's a lot on this fight for both fighters really.
1: Now we're coming off a great fight between Jaime Munguier and Gabe Rosado, and of course Munguier won the fight, and he's going to go on to do even bigger things in the sport. But Gabe Rosado put on another one of his great performances in a losing effort. And even though he's got so many losses on his record, do you think when years go by, people will look back on Gabe Rosado and see him as a real warrior and somebody who entertained the fans every single time?
2: Yeah, I think <clears throat> Excuse me. there's a lot of fighters like that over the years who might have an awful lot of losses on the record. but. You've just got to sometimes judge those losses about who you're fighting against and and what you gave in that in that fight. I don't think there's any shame in, in, in losing a boxing. I think it's it's all about how you how you lose and how you go about yourself. There's some some real tremendous warriors out there who uh, who probably lost a lot more fights than what they've won. You know, particularly in Britain, who I can think of, and you know, it's just uh, just the way that the sport is sometimes. So I think yeah, I think it'll go down as a as a really good fighter. There's no doubt about that. You know, uh, the, the the losses on on your record. Are, I don't think they are a problem. Sometimes I mean, yeah, every, every fighter wants to go through the career and be like Joe Calzaghe, like, don't they, and be forty. I don't know, but you know, boxing doesn't always work like that, does it? You've you've got to work hard, and sometimes you can learn more about yourself in a defeat because you, you've worked harder in that defeat and, and we've spilt a lot more blood. But uh, but no, you, you it's, it's it's a tough one that boy. I think he'll go down as a good fighter.
1: Last one of the day for you, Paul. We've got Ryan Garcia one of the best prospects in world boxing, coming off a great win against Luke Campbell. And he's joined up forces with Canelo's gym. He's training with the Reynosos. But according to the pound-for-pound superstar Canelo, he's not turning up for sessions. He doesn't put much effort in. And how does that reflect on Garcia? Because he's got so much talent and seemingly has the world at his hands from a media angle. He's got a massive amount of support. On social media, so many followers, even more than the likes of T. F. M. L. Lopez and Devin Haney and Lomachenko are in his division. He could be a real star in the sport, and he's got all the talent, but it doesn't seem like he's trying that hard. No, it seems a shame, that doesn't it? It does seem a real shame if that's
2: the case. Um, I don't know. It, sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, that happens in sport, doesn't it? You know, you get like flawed geniuses and. You know, it, it seems he's got all the talent in the world and he's just got to make it work for himself now. And, you know, you can have all that talent, but if you're not prepared to put the, the effort in, in the gym and put the put the rounds in, in the gym, you know, that talent could have rolled away and you're not going to get the opportunities, are Or you get defeated, you know, get beaten by somebody. So so I think, let's just hope it's not gone to his head, you know, the, the good work that he's done so far. I mean, you look back at the Luke Campbell victory, tremendous victory. So he's got an awful lot of raw talent there and, you know, terrific fighter. Let's just... Uh, let just hope he you know he nurtures that talent and, and, and goes on to be you know have the have the legacy that you'd like to see him have because you know boxing as we said before it'd be a short career sometimes you know you look and then you've lost a few fights and, and then you're out of it. So uh, so no, it's a bit bit foolish if he's gonna go down that road.
1: Thanks for joining us, Paul, and now we'll move on to the ice hockey. And Rob, can you tell us about some of the fixtures that are coming up for Manchester Storm this weekend? Yeah, the two fixtures for Manchester Storm this week, James, they're away at Dundee. Uh, on the Saturday
0: and then they're at home to Glasgow clan on the Sunday hopefully two wins from two there they've had a a mixed couple of weeks uh, storm and you're kind of hoping they can can get a result James and uh, keep pushing up the league table
1: do you fancy them?
0: I do, James. I do. I think Ryan Finney has got a nucleus of a squad there that's going to test the opponents. They've got a playoff, you know, place in their sights, James. So you're hoping that they continue to plug away, get the wins, and then when it comes to playoff time at the end of the season, they're there in the mix, and then anything can happen.
1: Now moving on to football, Rob. And I listened to a very interesting interview, actually, with Alan Shearer this week on The Overlap, discussing the process of his decision as to whether he picked Manchester United or Newcastle. And he Mm -hmm. actually went to a Brian Adams concert on the night with uh, Gary Neville and David Beckham, Manchester United and England stars. He danced the night away, sung the night away to many Brian Adams classics. But earlier on in the day, he'd actually met with Kevin Keegan and after the concert, he met up with Sir Alex Ferguson and he was pretty confident at the time that he was going to go to Manchester United. He wanted to win trophies, but in the end, it was Keegan who swayed him over and convinced him to join his boyhood club. Looking back at now, the career that Alan Shearer had, a phenomenal one, a Newcastle top scorer, a man who scored more goals than anybody else in Premier League history. Did he make the right decision picking his boyhood club? Or should he have sided with Sir Alex Ferguson and gone for the trophies?
0: Well, obviously Alan Shearer individually is is one of the the, sort of the greatest Premier League players, uh, record goal scorer. Um, I suppose looking at the actual things he won, he won a Premier League with Blackburn, and that was about it. So. Does does the individual sort of um, sort of acceptance of being top goalscorer and being the Premier League top sco- top goalscorer of all time does that um, sort of make it right? For me, it's all about trophies. It's about making memories. If you have the opportunity to sign for Manchester United, who at that time were kings of Europe and and, and competing in the Premier League, sort of. Uh, you know, year in, year out, he should have really chosen Manchester United. But he is from Newcastle. Newcastle United are his team. So he's probably thinking he wants to play for his uh, boyhood club. And I can understand why he, why he made that decision. But when he's sort of laying in bed at night, uh, you know, by himself, and he's, and he's thinking back at his uh, career, he probably wouldn't have chosen to have gone uh, for a Brian Adams concert. He should have gone home and uh, drove that Old Trafford uh,
1: the day after. <laughs> I mean, when we reflect on it from a Manchester United perspective, yes, Alan Shearer would have been a huge signing. But we bagged Oligunner Solskjaer for two million from Marmo, that transfer window. Did United miss out, or was it just Shearer who missed out? I think it was probably Shearer, really. Uh
0: Oliguner came in as a relative unknown, uh, and and you know, scored goals, and we all know his his sort of journey in that Manchester United shirt, which sort of came to the uh, the, the 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 pinnacle in the in '99, scoring the winner in the European uh, Cup final, and a bit obviously Alan Shearer looks back at that thing and thinks, well, could it have, that could have been me? I could have could have uh, you know. Scored that winner in the final. But for me, would Alan Shearer, would, would he accept he on the bench like Oli Gunnar Solskjaer? Oli Gunnar Solskjaer came on the, the field numerous times in close games and, and scored winners. memorably against Liverpool in the FA Cup and lots of other times. I think he scored four goals against Nottingham Forest coming off the bench. Would Alan Shearer be happy about that role in his team? Probably not. Uh, but at the time you had Cole and you had York, who were fantastic uh, goal scorers who were scoring... Uh, Unbelievable goals. You had Teddy Sheringham's as well, so you you would have had competition in that in that area. Um, but I don't think Alan Shearer would have been accepted enough to sit on the bench and, to, and wait for that opportunity to come along. He would have wanted to start that uh, on the on the field and would have put a, Alex
1: Ferguson in a bit of a position with Andy Cole and, and Dwight York. It's such a difficult decision, isn't it, Rob? And when you have that choice between winning championships or playing for the club, which you watched as a child. I mean, you sit on that home end and you take it in and you watch your heroes. It must be such a difficult decision to pick which club you go to. And I think most people would probably side with the idea that you go for the trophies, you go for the money. But Rob, if you were in a similar situation and you had the opportunity to play for Salford Red Devils as a professional rugby player, but then St Helens came along with a bigger offer and a chance of trophies, which one would you pick? Playing in this team now. These two teams now.
0: I probably would pick Salford because they're a team on the up. We're surrounded by players who are hungry and a coach who's come in and wants to achieve and change the culture of the club. If it had been a Salford sort of early 2000s, I probably would have gone to Saints. But I feel this club has moved in the, moving in the right
1: direction uh, and I wouldn't, I would probably want to help that. Another interesting story coming out of the Netherlands, Rob, to celebrate the Royal Dutch Association and their long and proud association with Nike, they've blown up a massive image of Virgil van Dijk to loom large over Rotterdam (laughs) on a massive building similar to that of the one of Edgar Davis, which I think was a similar size to the Statue of Liberty. But it shows what a legendary football Virgil van Dijk is becoming in his own country.
0: Yeah, he's a fantastic defender. Let, let's let's be honest. Uh, he's been the mainstay of that Liverpool team. Um, he's Holland's sort of top centre half. I can understand uh, why they'd want to put him on a big building. Uh, personally, though, I don't fancy being put on a big building because every blemish uh, on your body uh, would be seen if you're eighty foot tall, James. So I'm sure there's a lot of uh, photo photo shopping going on to make sure that everything's in it's in the right place.
1: Would you not fancy yourself to
0: go on a massive building in Sale, Rob? To be honest, James, you know, even the look in you, you have to be the right look in your eye. You'd have to be smouldering like the, you know, the Dwayne Johnson, wouldn't you, to to pull it off?
1: (laughs) You definitely would, Rob, but don't (laughs) put yourself down. Anyway, now now moving on to the fixtures this weekend. We've got Manchester United... Versus Chelsea, definitely a big game for the Red Devils. Away from home, Chelsea performing so well. Potential Premier League champions come the end of the season. Do you fancy us?
0: It's it's going to be a tough fixture. Chelsea are... You know, the team out, out there that need to be caught. Uh Oli under pressure with obviously the, what is going on in, in the in the situation at the moment. Uh Tuchel's working his magic uh with uh, Lukaku uh you know finding his feet, but Chelsea had a good side and you kind of worry for Manchester United, but after them defeats against Liverpool and Man City, um I'm sure the players will be focused and want to uh, sort of find a way back. So you're hoping we can go to Stamford Bridge and get a result uh,
1: but it will be tough James, what do you think? You've got to make Chelsea the favourites haven't you? Mm. With the way they've been playing this season, Manchester United aren't showing a lot of structure at the moment we're not seeing a lot of tactical prowess coming out the side and some stats I've seen recently that are quite alarming Rob, is that this season compared to last we're conceding a lot more goals and mm. we're scoring a lot less and I know we've had injuries at the back and up the higher end of the pitch with the likes of Rashford and Martial and, and Maguire and Alvaran mm. now injured. But still, those stats aren't very good. Mm. With 40- with a minute to go, James, Man City v. West Ham, what do you think? I think City win. Uh, I think West Ham are extremely dangerous at home, not quite as much away. But at the same time, they're performing well in the Premier League and they will be looking to cause an upset. But you still got to make Man City the favourites for me, Rob.
0: Yeah, 40 seconds to go. Salford City at home to Oldham and they play Chesterfield in the FA Cup second round on the 5th of December.
1: Yeah, a local derby, Rob. I think we're all looking forward to this one. Both teams struggling. Oldham struggling slightly more currently in the relegation zone. So I favour Salford in this one. It's
0: going to be a fantastic fixture, both obviously with derby fixtures, is always passion and commitment. And we're going to be talking all about it on the Sports Zone on uh, Salford City Radio. Don't forget to tune in every week. We talk about Man United, Man City, Salford City, uh, Manchester Storm, Salford Devils, Swinton Lions, UFC, Boxing, Ice Soccer, everything. Make sure you tune in to Salford City Radio, and we'll see you next week.